In this edition of Hoopsology, we welcome Tarika Foxter Braxby. She is the Connecticut Sun sideline reporter and she is the ESPN senior social specialist. Matt and I have an awesome conversation with Tarika about college and professional basketball. We had Tarika on as a guest about two years ago during the pandemic, and she provides a great overview regarding how the game has evolved since then. We also have an interesting conversation about WNBA Commissioner Kathy Ingenberg, and we discussed the future of the WNBA, NIL, and a lot more. This is a great chat. As always, get in touch with the show through Facebook and Twitter. Leave us a review on iTunes and email us at hoopsologypod at gmail.com. We are a member of the OTG Basketball Network. And now I enjoy this interview with Trika. Thank you for coming on to the show once again. And really wanted to have you on because you have a fantastic perspective of where sports is and women's sports is now compared to the pandemic. I remember talking to you just about the WNBA. It was a very unpredictable time with sports in general. So I just want to kind of ask you, you know, you were recently at the women's final four. Um, you were talking about kind of the festive atmosphere and as everybody kind of, you know, having higher spirits just because there's fans again, things were like back to normal from like a fan perspective, just watching, you know, that's the women's national championship game. Can you kind of give me your perspective on just kind of the journey from when we first talked to you to now, just like how everything has progressed and like, has your optimism changed? Has your perspective on women's sports changed or just the sports landscape? Just kind of give us your perspective on that. Yeah, well, first off, thank you guys again for having me. Great to be back. Um, yeah, I think that a lot has changed since the first time we spoke until now, just in general, from the way that our country has handed the pandemic um, to where sports has progressed to allowing fans to come back and everything around that. Um, it was, you know, as you mentioned, I was just in Minneapolis for the Women's Final Four, and it was just a totally different vibe, right? It felt good to, one, be back in person. We had not been in an in-person Final Four since being in Tampa in 2019. Um, so it was a totally different vibe. It felt really good. Um, there were, I remember the announcer saying on Friday for the semifinals matchup that there was over 18,300 people in the building, in the Target Center. So I think that speaks to two things. One, just that, you know, we've done a really good job in the women's sports landscape and in the NCAA landscape with um, making sure people were vaccinated, making sure people were safe, making sure the players and those covering the sports were vaccinated, proof of vaccination, um, making sure that we were, you know, required to follow the protocols um, that were set forth to make sure that everyone maintained safety. So I thought that that was very important, but also that the Target Center is a professional arena. And so to have 18,000 people in like selling out um, and, and a professional sports arena for the Final Four just kind of speaks volumes to where women's sports, specifically women's basketball and women's college basketball, to the level of where it has moved forward. Um, this was the first year which they completely sold out a sponsorship time. Um, I know ESPN sold all of their sponsorship as the network that covered the the final four this year. And so it's just, it's we just feel it, we feel it moving. Same with the WNBA. Um, there was a bit of time where they were playing in the bubble, you know, to last season being the league that was completely vaccinated to, you know, looking forward to this season outside of being the 25th season where we expect to see more fans, we expect to see more coverage, we expect to, you know, move towards some sense of normalcy. I'm doing air quotes um, for, for normalcy. So I think that we just 
all together are in a much better and safer place, still in a pandemic, still battling COVID, still battling people who are handling the different economic effects of it. But we are certainly in a much better place now than we were two years ago. So Tariqa, I've been dying to ask you this question. So I just, I just get to the point. And I think it's just about like how I feel about the WNBA since the pandemic. Just seeing what you mentioned about the momentum that the, the women's tournament got. I saw the news today, almost 5 million viewers um, up 18% from 2021, up 30% from 2019. Pete, almost at 6 million viewers. The momentum is there not only for the college game, but for the pro game. And I see just the headlines regarding, you know, the whole thing about chartered flights and then like Kathy Ingerberg just saying, you know, they can't afford that. And I guess I want to ask you, just you, you cover this, you have extensive knowledge and I totally respect your opinion. So if I'm off base, just correct me and I'll totally, I, I think I'll value your opinion and changing my mind if I'm wrong on this. But is Kathy Ingerberg the right person to run the WNBA? I just see her in terms of media appearances, in terms of just when she's talking about difference issues that come up with the league. I don't get the sense that she's for the league's best interest. Yeah. And I just wish that, you know, I, I wish that there was just, you know, another representative that had the fire just always pushing, driving this league because I see there's so much potential and I just don't see that she's the right fit. Am I wrong about that? Am I totally misguided? Is she just, she... I would I would say that that is something that would be subjective, right? Okay. Um, and, and so I'm not going to say that you're wrong in, okay. in how you see it. Um, I don't quite see it the same. I think that there are a bunch of different um, factors that sure. go into why certain things happen and that go into why um, certain things play out the way they do, right? So I will say that under her leadership, um, I have seen the league veer off into um, uncharted territories in a positive way. I love the change makers. Like I love being able to see companies like Nike and like Google and all those like Great. invest in women's sports. I enjoy that they are making a conscientious effort to try to expose the league on more platforms. So under her tutelage, we saw this go to Twitter. We saw Amazon. We saw, you know, Facebook. Like, we saw that happening. Um, it was under her leadership that the, the WNBA was able to structure this new CBA deal. And I've had conversations with Kathy where I know that there is a want, or at least how it comes across to us as media, that there is a want to be able to have charter flights and a want to be able to do these various different things. But they also, you know, they say that the numbers don't add up in terms of being able to literally pay for charter flights for every single team, for every single, I mean, listen, personally, I feel like if your owner is able to afford it and your owner is able to do this for you, then let's allow the owners to do that. Like if that's their money and they're able to make it happen for their players, they're deserving of it, then absolutely allow them to do that. And, you know, maybe there's a way that we can work with, you know, they additionally try to um, use the charter flights as a way to uh, reward those players who are in the playoffs and the finals, especially like last year, we saw them going from East to West, from Chicago to Phoenix, like, that was something that made it, it made sense. So I get it. Um, but I can't I can't say that I don't think that she's trying. And I can't say that I don't think that um, 
it's a hard job. I will say that it's certainly a hard job and it's not one for the fan at heart because there's so many things that we want to see with this league, but I can't say that I don't see the league progressing with her as commissioner. And because of that, it's very difficult for me to say that someone else can do better. Maybe somebody else can do better. Who knows? But, um, I, I just don't, I don't think that she's terrible at her job. I think she's doing a really good job with what she has. And I think she's brought some great pieces to the WNBA. And so I'm willing to, I'm willing to give her a shot. Come on, Justin. (laughs) (laughs) I just, I, and I understand those points. Those are awesome points. I just feel the league has so much potential and just through the years, just seeing just the talent and just really, especially how the WNBA out of really any other sports league really took advantage of the, the bubble and then just how they rose in terms of ratings and its popularity that when she is the one of the public faces of the league from a business standpoint, I just get like a corporate vibe and I just wish there's like excitement. Like this league's exciting. This league has great you know players. Which, which, this I will league, say this too. Yeah. But I think that that's the kind of the same vibe that you get from Adam Silver. Like, I don't see Adam Silver and get excited about the league. Like, sure. David Stern, player. too. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Understood. Like, I, I, I get the, I, I think that your job is to be like that corporate face, that corporate ground sure. to bring that kind of thing in. What I like, and I mean, this like way depends on the day and time, depending on where we are and what's happening. But, I do like that there is a stronger effort put towards marketing. Now we can get deeper into that conversation at a later time, talk (laughs) about the players that they're marketing and talk about, you know, why it seems that we see the same players on a lot of different things. And it's like, come on, you're supposed to be marketing everyone in the league, not like the same three players. So that's a different conversation, but just the fact that there is a stronger push on the marketing and the branding of the league and trying to be, you know, a bit more with um, ensuring exposure in certain areas. I give, I give credit to that, um, to Kathy. That was something that she said she wanted to do. And, and I also tell people this and I mean, not you, of course, because I, you know, I know you were mad. You guys follow the league, but for like those people who continue to compare the NBA to the WNBA 25, 26 years in, this was a league that, barely dunked people barely dunked they barely packed stadiums they barely did anything right like if we're comparing 26 years to 26 years like the WNBA is actually surpassing where the NBA was in its first 26 seasons of existence and that's just the bottom line right whether people want to believe it or not the facts are there the numbers are there do the research like it's 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 not something that we're making up as enthusiasts to try to you know spin the narrative it's the truth. It takes time to get to the level of where it is continually successful numerically and monetarily, right? And the WNBA just hasn't quite gotten to that part of it yet, but it's certainly like it's making it's making the strides, right? Yeah. And there's no magic answer. Sure. They're not going to generate, you know, $200 million in like a day or anything like that. So, I mean, it takes time. But for this league to be where it is in its 26th season and to have the people who are starting to put more resources behind it, who are starting to really buy into the product that these women are put, that these athletes are putting out there. Um, I'm very proud of, of where they are and what they're doing and how they've gotten to this point. And I, I have to give Kathy her props for 
um, for helping it to get this far, as well as all the other pre past presidents, Donald Arinder and sure, other, you know, past presidents who have helped and 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 have um, got us, you know, through this part, th through this part so far. But I mean, absolutely, like. We'll see what happens when the next commissioner comes, right? Yeah. Maybe she elevates us to another level. Sure. <laughs> Go ahead, Matt. I have, I, I have to ask Tarika, um, and you may have just answered this question, but this is something that Justin and I are endlessly curious about in, in terms of ratings. And you both mentioned the record numbers from this tournament. Yeah. You may have already answered this again, but what do you see as like the key factor that has caused this growth in interest and, and growth in both women's college sports and the WNBA? And maybe the answers are different for, uh, for both leagues. Yeah, I, I think it's a bit of the same and a bit different. Um, so what I think similar to, to both of them is, is very easy. It's exposure. It's access to watching. Like people can't like what they can't see. And if they don't know what time the games are coming on, if they don't know what channels the games are coming on, if the games aren't on channels that are accessible to majority of the people, they're not gonna be able to see it, right? So this year, you know, the, the, the final four and the um, championship game were both on ESPN, not ESPN2, ESPN. Like that was important. There was a lot of resources put behind this year's championship. There was a mega cast with Sue and Diana. There were pregame show. There were postgame show. There were, you know, uh, digital shows. There were so much social media driven behind it. Like there was literally talk everywhere. And that's because when you invest in a product and people can see that investment and people can see the product, they will like what they see. They just have to see it. I think it's the same way with the WNBA. Last year being the 25th season, there were games everywhere. You could see games on Facebook, on Twitter, on Amazon, on, you know, we did a um, a, um, a WNBA league pass drive that just randomly came out of just, you know, paying it forward. And we ended up raising over $6,000 to donate over 300 league passes. So now there are other households who are able to watch the WNBA all season long. And I, I'm hoping that that is what led to the increase in price this year so that, you know, we can continue to build revenue. Now, of course, there are definitely some things that need, um, there are some things that obviously need work. Like, you know, we were at a panel and one of my colleagues, Katie Barnes, brought up a great point that, you know, when it comes to jersey sales, for example, you can't walk into a store and just buy any, I can walk in any any sporting store I want and probably find a LeBron James jersey or find, um, you know, if I live here in Connecticut, I can find a Boston Celtics jersey at any sports or athletic store or whatever, whoever. I can't just walk in any store and find WNBA apparel. Or if I can, it's very limited to which players they have or, you know, who who is available and how long it takes to get there and all of that stuff. So, yeah, there's definitely still a lot of work to be done. But in that same aspect, just viewership is increasing because we can see it. And that's just yeah. so important that we can see it. I think the other thing, though, that's different from WNBA and college is just the parity in, in college over the last few years have literally just increased to the level that fans are just enjoying it more because there are schools we haven't heard of. There are schools that we knew had great teams and great players, but we just didn't talk about them enough. Um, the teams that we are used to seeing sit in the top of the standings 
are starting to have the kind of competition. I mean, we literally just saw it yesterday or two days ago where UConn's a team that went to 14 straight Final Fours. And this is what, how many? I want to say five. It's been five, six years. Has it been five years, six years? Since they forgot longer than that, like yeah, since they've yeah. actually won a championship, we've seen mm-hmm. Notre Dame, we've seen yeah, South Carolina, yeah. we've seen Baylor. You know what I'm saying? Like we've seen so many other teams win championships now that it just it helped. And we also see a lot of former players coming back, and that's bridging that gap. I mean, we saw Asia Wilson, we saw um, Candace Parker was there, we saw Angel McCautry, who's a Louisville alum she was there supporting the louisville Cardinals. stanford again it was NECA and so many other different stars in the league that are coming back to support the players in the at the college level that it's really helping to bridge that gap um i don't know if you guys have seen this on social media but there's been um teams for example that have you know made um that have made like different posts and congratulatory messages for the colleges that are in their city. I think it was the mm-hmm. Dallas Wings did something for Baylor because it was Texas. So those are the kinds right, of things. Right. Yeah, right? So like those are the kinds of things that we need to continue to bridge the fan gap. And that also like helps helps the league grow, helps both leagues grow. You know, you bring up a fascinating point there that hadn't really occurred to me that, you know, with UConn being so dominant and Tennessee before them, really before UConn took the reins, may have been i mean fans tend to like dynasties you know loving or hating the dynasties but Mm -hmm. it sounds like there may have been somewhat of a detrimental effect like uconn was so dominant that it was detrimental to the game as a whole at least in terms of viewership so i i am on the fence with that right because i don't ever think that i don't ever think that and i've heard that argument a lot where it feels like a team that is dominating has like hurt the game per se Mm. but i don't think that it hurt the game to me I felt like it helped to raise the standard because everyone mm-hmm. wants to be the team that knocks off this so what do I do to continue to get better so that I can be able to knock off this and so it, it kind of became one of those situations where everyone was starting to tune in just to see if UConn was going to lose <laughs> it's like mm-hmm. who's going to be the team to do it this time is anybody going to do it can anyone do it um it I will say that I think sometimes dynasties um, made it very difficult to form rivalries. Mm. Um, and so we, you, you know, we used to love to see the UConn Tennessee rivalry because both of those, these programs were top level, top of the game, had such the name recognition. And then after that um, it was years before we saw a, a, a Tennessee UConn, you know, matchup. Like this was well after Pat Summit was gone and unfortunately had passed away at this time. So it was a while so I thought that it was difficult, but I mean, I think we're starting to see that again. How many people crave watching Don Staley faces Gino? There's the Philadelphia connection. There's the, you mm-hmm. know, the, the just this past weekend, there was the tale of the unbeaten. You know, uh, Staley had one hard one appearance and Gino had never lost in his 11 appearances in a final, in a championship match. So it's starting to build those rivalries and, um, so, yeah, like, I don't know. I, I don't think that they are detrimental to the game, per se. I think that it just mm-hmm. makes people step their game up and people have rose to the challenge. Absolutely. Tarika, I want to ask you, and shift gears a little bit, in terms of the NIL deals. Yeah. And just what is your opinion of that? I think it's a huge game changer. 
I think it's yeah. awesome for college athletes that they're able to, you know, not only make money, but also elevate their names. So by the time they're done with their sports career, they already have a name within casual um, pop culture and just social media where they can, you know, have life outside of basketball. So what has been yeah. your opinion on this? Do you see any negatives? I don't, but you know, you're, you're watching mm -hmm. the game fairly closely. Are, have there any been any pitfalls, anything that concerns you about what you observe with the NIL deals this year so far? I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you. I love it. I think athletes, I mean, I'm a former division two athlete. I wish I could have got an NIL deal. I mean, I don't know what for, maybe some socks or something, but <laughs> but just even still, like, it's just, there are millions of dollars being made off the backs of these student athletes and they aren't reaping the benefits of it. And this really is just, to me, NIL is literally just a small token of what they deserve. Um, these, you know, we just saw Kansas and, and North Carolina last night, millions of dollars were made off that game. Schools and the, the NCAA as an organization collected millions of dollars off of that. Those kids aren't going to see any of that. You know what I mean? And so these, these NIL deals, if they're able to market themselves and put themselves in a position to actually learn business savviness at a very young age, they're able to stack some wealth for themselves. Who knows if they will, you know, be successful in whatever sport they pursue at the next level. And that's even if they're drafted. Some, I mean, obviously, I would hope that if someone is securing an NIL deal that they would be, you know, at the level of becoming a professional. But that's the beauty of it. There are students who aren't necessarily going to be able to fulfill their dream of being, you know, the best at the next level, but they're great right now for their school. And they've got a great social media presence and they've got a great brand and a great name that companies want to take advantage of. And they're doing that. And of course, there's an emergency happening that a siren would be driving by right now. <laughs> that's what, that's the next, that's the next NIL deal that needs to happen right there. But anyway, um, <laughs> But yeah, I, I agree with you, though. I just think that this is a great opportunity for these students, for these athletes to to really get some of what they have deserved for years. It kind of makes you think that everything that some of these former athletes have been punished for and some of these schools have lost championships and have been fined millions of dollars or coaches have been you know, suspended and stuff for, you know, allegedly not knowing that they were receiving these benefits. But all of this happened. And for what? For us to get to a day where we finally just acknowledge that student athletes should be paid for the services that they provide in some way or another. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, totally agree with you there. Um, Trika, you brought something up earlier, just going back to the WNBA. I wanted to focus on and get your opinion on this. And that was, I think, with uh, WNBA League Pass in terms of the price going up this year. And it brings up, like, with the WNBA increasing their ratings year over year, um, there's been really this war within just the television community, within, you know, different sports league getting a lot of money for sports rights. And so when the WNBA is up to renew their TV deal, I think they're going to get a substantial increase. And I just want to get your opinion on a couple of facets of this. First, as a fan, are you worried that like Amazon or um, Apple TV or Netflix outlets that, quite frankly, are new to the sports arena 
might not treat the WNBA with the greatest respect, even if it's a great deal financially. From a coverage standpoint, they're new to sports. They may not give the league the respect it deserves from covering it. And two, do you, how do you see it um, figuring it out in terms of if there is a rights increase, the athletes benefiting from that in terms of their salaries going up? Do you see you know, a new collective bargain agreement kind of, you know, when the rice deal does happen, do you see that on the horizon in terms of seeing yeah. kind of the base salaries elevate from that? Yeah, no, you and I are on the same wavelength with that one. I do think that come time, and that's something that, you know, fans kind of have to really understand is that it's the players as well as, you know, the players unions and the representatives on all side that negotiates these things. So it's not like the league is just saying, we only paying you this and this is it, and y'all just got to deal with it. Like there's a negotiation process in pro in, pro in progress here. So it's actually um, very beneficial for these things to happen, for these deals to come through, for these TV deals to increase, for these networks to want to broadcast and show these games, because that means when it's come time for us to go back to the table and, and bargain for our worth, well, now we've got something here we got something here to talk about. We've got something here to look at. We've got something coming in that's helping us. As same with adding in the march and the merchandising and like these are all things that help you know to to fatten the pot a bit when we come to um, to our bargaining agreement. But to your first question in terms of having these different platforms with rights, again, I think that that just actually plays into the WNBA's exposure level. The more that we see it, the more places we have access to it. If I've already got an Amazon Prime account and I don't have the extra 25 bucks for a WNBA League Pass, but I know that I can watch WNBA TV through my Amazon account, Amazon account, I'm here for that. I do think that there needs to be consideration taken to the talent who's going to be covering these games. I do think there should be consideration taken into um, the quality of the production of these games. Um, I think that those things are fair. You do want to hear people who know how to pronounce the, 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 the players' names. Like you do want to feel like you're getting the best. And this is, you know, no shade to those broadcasters who may or may not be in those positions. But, you know, as fans, you, you definitely want to make sure that you're getting the same quality and the same experience that you would be if you were watching any other network. So I, I totally understand, you know, where you're coming from in that regard. But I think that just... All of these opportunities really just help to give the league more exposure that's necessary. The more places they can watch, the better. Even when they were showing the games on Twitter, you didn't you knew that if I was watching from Twitter, I'm not gonna get the play-by-play -play where everybody is, you know, gonna be so buttoned up. I'm getting the chill version. I'm getting the I'm kicking it at my crib with my homegirl or my homeboy, and we're watching, we're watching some basketball, and this is what we talk about. So it was a different experience. It was fun, and there were people who enjoyed that. And I think that that type of uh, diversity in how we experience women's basketball is really necessary um, to, to kind of reach different people and reach people where they are. Go ahead, with, the, um, with the NBA and WNBA still at this point in time be like a package deal together since they're kind of brother and sister league? Or do you see any chance that, you know, the WNBA could go to a different host than the NBA? A, I don't, you know, I don't see deal. that. I don't see that anytime soon. Yeah. Um. I don't. I don't. I don't know if that's something that they plan to do, but I don't really see that anytime soon. And I'm not necessarily sure that 
um, that I would want it to not like I am. I think one of the things that made the NBA, I'm sorry, one of the things that made the WNBA so bomb in 2020 was that um, as much as we hated being stuck in a house with nothing to do, we were all forced to watch this awesome basketball. And I got a chance to point at people and say, I told you so, but I told you it was good, <laughs> but I told you you should have been watching. You know what I mean? Like I had a chance mm-hmm. to tell people like, you should, I, we, we've been trying to tell you for years that this is great basketball. You haven't been listening, but because it was packaged um, so closely with, and this wasn't intentional. It just so happened that, you know, they're both in Florida One's in Disney World, one's in Bradenton. It just so happened that they were both playing in the summer, which was typical WNBA time, atypical for the NBA. But it just so happened that with them being at the same time, we as basketball fans felt like we were getting like a double dose of basketball and it was dope. And I loved that. I really did. And I would not be opposed to a season in which – you know, the WNBA started earlier. And I understand why it doesn't. Like, I get it. I really do. I really do get it. But as a fan, it doesn't mean that I would not enjoy if the WNBA season started a little earlier and, you know, either preceded NBA games or, you know, was like part of a double header. I think that that would be great for, for, for women's basketball. I think it would be great for basketball fans, right? The more the merrier. Um, but I don't see anytime soon um that there be some type of disconnect they're a partnership and they and they operate as a partnership and i think it can be beneficial if used the right way Trika, one last question before we let you go um what are you looking for at this season within the wnba um Woo! is there i mean we're coming off the anniversary season i think the league did an awesome job with that with just all the content that was released what are you looking forward to and what things do you would you like approve upon from last season from like a presentation standpoint rules anything that like last year like man i wish they just get rid of this and hopefully um you can see an improvement this season does anything catch your eye well quite a few uh players uh moved around in the off season so i think it's going to be interesting to see how those players perform in their new teams i'm very interested to see what liz cambage is going to do in la um, I thought that was interesting. Tierra McCowan, we've said for a long time that um, we don't feel like she was really growing in Indiana. Well, now she's in Dallas. Um, and so how is that going to affect her performance? Are we going to see her actually, you know, mature into that player that we've been wanting to see for years now? I think that's going to be interesting. Um, Courtney Williams is back in Connecticut. The guard play is going to be quicker with the sun now we've been saying for the last three years that this is a team that can win a championship last year I felt this was a team that could win a championship um this year I'm saying again this is a team that can win a championship do they get it done like you know how how is that going to play out um the coaching movement new coaches in in Arizona um, with the Phoenix Mercury. Sandy Brondello is now in New York now with the Liberty. How does that team that had so much potential with the way that, um, you know, Sabrina Unescu, she injured, but here we are back again, hoping that she's going to get off to a healthy start. But Nigel Laney was a bucket walking last year. Natasha Howard, like all these people who we saw as a team that could find a way to jail with Dee Dee Richards. And we wanted them to, to be successful. Didn't really seem like Walt Hopkins was 
putting the pieces together well. Well, now you've got an established coach with a history of winning. How is she going to turn this team um, into a team that can finish the season the way it starts? And then there's the champions, right? Chicago Sky. Do you repeat? What do you do now that, you know, you, you, you may have lost Diamond to Shields because Phoenix is now looking like a super team down there with, with Diamond and Tina and, and Brittany, you know, when she comes home and all this, it's just ridiculous. Like, seriously, I think this is like the first real super team that we're going to see in the WNBA. It's not even fair. It's not even fair. Right. <laughs> but um, there's just so much movement that you've got to wonder like, you know, which piece, which, which piece of the puzzle moved to be the right fit. So, I mean, I'm just looking forward to everything. I could go on and on and on. <laughs> well, Tarika, we appreciate the chat and your insight and perspective. Thank you very much. Can you let our viewers and the listeners know where they can find you on social media and then any other projects you're working on for the rest of the year as well? Absolutely. So you can definitely find me on Twitter at She Knows Sports. I am on Instagram at She Knows Sports underscore um and i'm just all over the place right so um be doing some digital stuff on espn um as you mentioned i'm the sideline reporter this year for the connecticut sun so extremely excited about that um, but i'm always on social media hopping in somebody's twitter space about something so definitely um just follow me on the social platforms and more info to come on anything new that could be happening which is very likely <laughs> Awesome. Thank you very much for your time, Tarika. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, guys.